This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Listen in, everybody. Tonight, Wednesday, 10, 9 Central, get ready for your newest TV addiction. That's right, the new series Pure premieres on WGN America. Now Pure is based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. Yeah, you heard it right, Mennonites. Most are kind people, but one group was part of the world's most dangerous drug cartel. Get hooked on Pure. Series premieres Wednesday, yes, that's tonight, 10, 9 Central, only on WGN America. y'all this is keeping it 300 i'm fallon smith james jones had a schedule conflict y'all yeah but he promises to be back next week i think though you will still enjoy this episode because we have a great guest coming up in just a few minutes but how y'all doing i hope you guys had a great weekend you're probably doing much better than me because i am the definition of a hot mess yes your girl is a hot mess so Last Friday, I broke out in hives all over my body from head to toe when I was at the gym. Apparently, I may be allergic to rubber or latex because it happened when I was using the resistance bands. I legit looked like Will Smith in the movie Hitch. Y'all remember that? When he had an allergic reaction and his face just completely had lumps all over it. His lips were big and yeah. Basically, I looked like Will Smith in Hitch. It was terrible. So that was Friday. Okay, so Saturday, normal day. It was actually a good day because Mizzou beat Texas A&M on the road. So it was a good Saturday, you know. Then Sunday came around. And Sunday, folks, I had a concussion. Yep. (laughs) I, Fallon Marie Smith Christopher, got a freaking concussion. I'm laughing about it now, but at the time it wasn't very funny. So let me tell you how this happened. So because the temperatures are now in single digits here in Missouri, the snow that had melted turned into ice, right? So I thought I'd be a good wife and salt the driveway because, you know, my husband, he was actually at work working somebody out. And so when I was driving um, home, I actually kind of skid my car skid. And so I was like, oh no, if my car skid, my husband's car is probably going to skid. So let me salt my driveway and my sidewalk, right? (sighs) So while I'm salting the driveway, I get to the bottom of the driveway and didn't realize there was a sheet of ice. And I was wearing sneakers, my Hirachis actually, not boots. So I had no grip. And I slipped and fell and hit the back of my head on the sidewalk. Didn't even have any time to brace myself, try to catch my fall, try to cover my head, the back of my head. No, none of that. All of a sudden, just boom. I just fell ridiculously hard on the concrete. I don't really remember if I passed out or not, but I do remember I couldn't hear. I had like ringing in my ears and then I couldn't see for maybe about a minute. Not exactly sure. It was scary. I was freaking the heck out. And for those who know me, you guys know why I'm freaking out because of my past history with brain trauma. So the last time this happened, this is kind of embarrassing. In 2010, when I was living in Wyoming for my first on-air job, something similar happened. It was like January, February of 2010. I went to warm up my car afterward because the temperature was, I don't know, like below zero. It was something crazy. And I slipped on a sheet of ice and hit the back of my head on these big rocks that we had for landscaping. Yeah, it was just for show. And that actually was way worse than this. Way worse. I don't remember anything that happened after that. Apparently, my coworkers found me passed out inside the newsroom. So somehow I got inside the newsroom after I fell. 
but my coworkers found me passed out, bleeding from my nose and my ear. Yeah. So they rushed me to the hospital. I'm throwing up in their car. Clearly, that's a concussion right there, right? First sign. <sighs> and I remember telling the doctor, I need to go to work. I have work tomorrow. Because you know, in those starter markets, I mean, it's only you and someone else. And you guys work like 60 to 80 hours a week. You one man band. I mean, you can't miss work. Okay. There was no calling in sick, nothing. I'm like, I need to work tomorrow. And I just remember the doctor neurologist was like, um, excuse me, ma'am, you're not going anywhere. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, ma'am, you have a skull fracture. You have bleeding in your brain. You have a blood clot in your brain. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, y'all. It was pretty terrible. So yeah, I had um, bleeding in my brain, a blood clot that was actually between my uh, eardrum and my brain. So that's why I couldn't hear. It's crazy. I like could not hear in my right ear. Come to find out later on, I lost partial hearing in my right ear because of the fall. Crazy. And I was hospitalized for weeks. I even had to go to a rehabilitation center. And I still have some lingering effects till this day. That was a really scary part of my life. Oh my goodness. I cannot even, woo! It gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about uh, what I had to go through. It was pretty terrible. I lost like a ton of memory as well. Yeah. So anyways, you guys can see when I fell on Sunday, why I freaked out. I freaked out just because I was getting flashbacks of what happened in 2010. The good news is, though, the CT scan was clear, and it was just a mild concussion. That's it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Seriously. It could have been much worse. Um, but I think because of the adrenaline, like after the initial hit, I mean, I had a hematoma, like this huge, huge hematoma on the back of my head. It was huge. But I think I freaked myself out because of all the adrenaline and I just kept getting flashbacks of what happened before and I didn't want to go through all that again. But I'm okay, y'all. And you know what the sad part is? So remember how I was telling you guys last week how Columbia got this ridiculous amount of snow, about a foot and a half of snow, right? Well, I posted pictures and videos of the snow on Facebook, Instagram, whatever the other social media accounts I have. And my old boss in Wyoming, my old news director, messaged me and he said, I'm looking at the message right now, please take extra care. You and ICE don't get along. Okay, now, when I saw that, I ignored him. I was like, screw you, bro. Like, screw you, that ain't funny. Or like, duh, I'm not going to slip and fall and break my head again. And then look what happened. Oh my God, I'm an idiot. Like, I seriously can't believe that that happened. And he kind of warned me too. <laughs> oh my God. My mom and dad were obviously scared, but when they knew I was okay, they said, Mija, we need to buy you a helmet. What color do you want? <laughs> I was like, that ain't right. Bruh, that is not right. But yeah, my head and neck are still very sore, but I'm alive, y'all. So that is all that matters. That's all that matters. Okay, now you guys are probably going to think I'm super clumsy, but... That accident, right, happened in 2010. This accident happened in 2019. But there was an accident that I, that basically ended my dreams of being a college athlete. And this was in 2003. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm about to tell this story. I was not going to tell this story. So I was on the crew team at UCLA my freshman year. I think we had practice at like five in the morning, six in the morning, whatever. But we get up super early. I remember I had a paper due the next day. So I was up until like three in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, writing this paper, right? So I was only about to get like an hour, hour and a half of sleep. Well, apparently I was in my deep, deep sleep. And so back then in my dorm, I had a lofted bed, which is six feet, five inches to the floor. And underneath the bed, it's my desk, closet, etc. right? Okay. Well, in the middle of my sleep, I don't know if I was having a bad dream or what. But there was no railings, and I rolled over, fell off my bed, face first, and hit the floor. For those who've been in dorms before, you know, it is basically cement floors with this cheap, paper-thin carpet on top, because they replace it every year. So I hit my head face first. Thank the Lord I missed my temple, 
it was about a centimeter off my temple or I would have died instantly. The sad part is somebody at Stanford actually died the exact same way. My poor roommate Katie woke up from the noise that the impact made, saw me crawling on the floor, apparently trying to open the door to call for help. I have no idea. She called 911, the ambulance came, and apparently when the ambulance came, I kept yelling, somebody call my coach and tell him I'm not coming to practice. Like, that's what I was worried about. I don't even remember this. Y'all should have seen my face. It looked like I got jumped by a bunch of people. (laughs) Or that I was in a boxing match or something. I looked crazy. Anyways, long story short, I fractured my skull, had five bone fractures in my face, had bleeding in my brain, had a hairline fracture in my spine. My nose bled for about eight hours. Thank God they did not have to do nasal surgery. They did this thing called nose packing instead to see if the bleeding would finally stop. And let's just say nose packing is not a pleasant experience at all. I'd rather have fell off my bed ten more times. I was in newspapers across the country. Let's just say because it happened to me, UCLA and schools across the country now have mandatory railings for lofted beds and bunk beds because of me. Kind of embarrassing, right? But yeah, I was out of commission for months. And this is when concussions started becoming a a big topic and they started doing research. And my doctors released me to play sports, but the UCLA doctors did not. And that's actually how I got into broadcasting because I had to figure out what I wanted to do for my career. You know, that's when I decided to apply to and join Brewer News 29, which is our school run TV station. And that's how my career started. Obviously, if anybody wants to ask questions, (laughs) you know, you guys can DM me or tweet me or message me on Facebook um, because I could literally have an entire episode about what happened with me because I'm giving you the cliff notes, even though this seems long, this is the cliff notes version. I have had so many lingering effects because of these injuries, which when I talk about it, you know, I guess I don't seem so concerned But I've had to go through a lot. Let's just say that. With that said, now with what happened on Sunday, I was pissed because I missed most of the conference championship games. I only saw the fourth quarter of the NFC title game because I was in the emergency room during the game. And then when I got home, I knocked out from the medication that they gave me. And I woke up in the fourth quarter of the AFC championship game. And the worst part is, none of the teams I wanted to win won. None of them. Ah! I was going for the Saints and the Chiefs, man. I was pretty bummed, not going to lie. And as you know, the Saints got screwed by the worst no-call in the history of the NFL, or at least one of the worst. I mean, that was terrible, y'all. And the Chiefs kind of played themselves. Specifically, I'm going to point out at the end of the game, D. Ford, he played the Chiefs, (laughs) because he was in the neutral zone, and the Chiefs had picked off Tom Brady, which would have ended the game and sent the Chiefs to the Super Bowl, y'all. But nope, a pre-snap penalty that had nothing to do with the play. The game would have been over, and D. Ford picks up a pre-snap penalty. You have got to be kidding me. If Tom Brady ain't the luckiest mofo, obviously it's talent as well. But the narrative would be so much different if there was no pre-snap penalty and Tom Brady lost the game by throwing an interception. He lost the AFC title game a year after losing the Super Bowl. The narrative would be so much different. Instead, the Patriots end up scoring a touchdown. The Chiefs kicked a field goal to send it to overtime. But the Pats won the coin toss. And Brady did his thing. And the Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl. Man, it pains me to say that. But let me say this. And this is why I have said this for years. I hate NFL overtime rules. Now, it is better than what we had in the past with the first team to score wins rule. Because remember before, a field goal would win it on the first possession. Now the team to possess the ball first has to score a touchdown to end the game. Okay. But I still think it sucks. Because I think each team 
should have a possession in overtime. You're telling me that the result of the game is highly dependable on a coin toss, a 50-50 chance, a coin toss. And everybody wants to argue, well, the Chiefs defense should have stopped Tom Brady and company, la 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 la. Okay, that's great. I get it. But the fact that you guys value quarterbacks in the National Football League so high now with all the rule changes, how do you not value them in overtime? You don't want to see both quarterbacks possess the ball in overtime? Don't you want to see Patrick Mahomes have a chance? Patrick Mahomes didn't even get to touch the football in overtime. I feel like that is straight robbery. So I think they need to take a hard look at their overtime rules. And maybe take a little page out of the college rule book. Now, their overtime rules are flawed. I'm just saying, allow each team to possess the football. In college, it's a little ridiculous. You end up having like 10 overtimes. For me, I would say each team should have at least one possession. And if both teams score or if both teams don't score, the next team to score wins the game. But at least... Give each offense a chance. I don't know why I sound like I'm more mad about that than the worst no call in the history of no calls because the Saints got screwed. Royally screwed. Oh my goodness. The freaking ref was looking at the play. There are pictures everywhere to show he saw the blatant pass interference. That's not one of those plays where you let it go. It wasn't ticky-tack. It was blatant. You don't let that go. You don't swallow your whistle at that type of play. No way. At that game-changing play. No way. If a flag is thrown, the Saints all but win the game. Yo, I couldn't even imagine being a Saints fan right now. But we feel you, bro. Raider Nation feels you. 2002 tuck rule game. We feel you. We still ask ourselves, what if? And they'll be still asking themselves, what if? For a long time. This is something that you just can't get over as a fan, as a player, as a coach. Like, if I'm the Patriots and the Rams, I feel a little dirty. You know, I feel a little dirty. Okay, maybe they don't really give a crap because, let's be honest, they don't. They're in the Super Bowl. But from the outside looking in, I feel like this is kind of a tainted or or dirty Super Bowl matchup. Not so much the Patriots because the rules are the rules. So I was complaining about something that's kind of irrelevant. But more so because of the Rams. Because the Saints got screwed. Point blank, period. There's no arguing that. All right, so now... That the Patriots and Rams are in the Super Bowl, even though I feel like (coughs) salty about it. I will not bet against Tom Brady, and I cannot believe I'm even saying that. Gross, 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 gross. So I'm not rooting for the Patriots. I'm actually rooting for the Rams, but I am not betting against Tom Brady either. So if I was betting and if I had to put money on this game, I am definitely going with the Patriots on this one. I'm so mad about this. If Tom Brady wins his sixth freaking Super Bowl title, I'm going to be sick to my stomach. Ugh. All right, time to pay some bills. But stay where you are because our guest coming up is so funny, you're not going to want to miss it. If you're like me, there's nothing better than feeling rejuvenated after a good night's rest. And it starts with having the right pillow. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the four-pack special and enter my promo code COZY, that's C-O-Z-Y, and you'll get two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. So if you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. Yes, that's right. No shipping costs at all. And don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There is nothing better than the gift of a good night's sleep. So again, go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. You can also call 800 966 
1472. Again, that number is 800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY, C-O-Z-Y. And you better believe I'm going to be using my pillow tonight for the series premiere of Pure. You've heard plenty stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. Yeah, you heard it right. Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there is one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. And starting tonight, Wednesday, 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. And I love all three of those shows, so get hooked on Pure. Wednesday, starting tonight, 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. for our guest this week. Joining us on Keeping It 300 is a guy who always keeps it real and with a little comedic twist on it. Currently the supervising producer for the Mostly Football Show for Yahoo Sports. He was the creator of Comedy Central's Legends of Chamberlain Heights. He's a former UCLA Hooper and no doubt a Bruin legend. Hands down, he threw the best parties in college and he's one of the best follows on Twitter at KingJosiah54. It's the homie, Josiah Johnson. How's that for an introduction, Josiah? <laughs> that, that was probably the greatest introduction. My favorite part was that I threw the best parties. They were lit. They didn't start till midnight, until about 4 a.m. <laughs> Never had one party broken up by the police. Okay, UCLA legend, 685 Kelton. You already know. We had 685 Kelton on lock, and then we moved it over to Ashton on the other side of Wilshire. Also never had a party broken up there. Like 15 for 15. <laughs> I actually do remember the Ashton one. I do remember that. That was when we were older, right? Yeah, that was, that was, that was you know, like the last couple years of college and then after into that adult life. That adult life. Man, those were the days. Well, now you're really an adult. Uh, you just had your second child a few weeks ago, right? So congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. It's hard out here. Daddy daycare. So I'm assuming you're not getting much sleep. No, not at all. But it's all good. I, I was built for that after the first one came. <laughs> but now the second one's here. Like, you know, me and my boo just around the clock. But it's all gravy. Two boys, right? Two boys? Yeah, two kings. <laughs> two kings. Two legends. Two few hey, legends in the making, <laughs> if I do it right. <laughs> Okay, well, Josiah, you have become a social media sensation with all your mic'd up videos and the funny skits that you do. So I want to know, how do you come up with this stuff, and when did you realize you had something good going on here? Well, I've been doing this stuff, you know, pretty much since like 2008, 2009, since the post-UCLA days. Me and a couple of former teammates, uh, Quinn Hawking and Ike Williams, we started a website called Jersey Chaser. So we were doing stuff like, you know, voiceovers and mic'd up and all that type of stuff back in, like, 2009 with the LeBron and Kobe puppets. And then, obviously, I moved on and had a show on Comedy Central that I was a voiceover actor on. So I was doing, like, seven, eight voices an episode on that show, really kind of just expanding my range. So as I was looking at Twitter, I just noticed that there was a huge, uh, huge hole in terms of just content. Like, everybody puts up, you know, somebody gets dunked on, whatever may happen. Everybody puts that content up, but they don't really add no seasonings or no flavor to it. It's just the content, you know, they might put a meme or a caption, so once I mastered that game, I was like, yo, let me just take this another level and really just add some voiceover to it. And a lot of that stuff I don't think people realize, like I'm doing right as it happens. So I'm writing those scripts in my head and just, just letting it go. And, you know, some of the stuff ain't funny, but a lot of it is. So I just try to bet like 65, 70%. But I know, I know, like two people come sometimes like, yo, that was whack. It's like, yo, I'm a, I don't know which one is going to be the good one. So I just got to put them all out there. I just got to, I'm addicted to creating content. I'm a content fiend. So I just put everything out there, see whatever sticks. And it's crazy because sometimes I'll do some stuff that I don't think is particularly funny, and then the internet will just gravitate to it and act like it's the best thing since sliced bread. But other times I'll put some real heat out, like, oh, man, this is going to really you know, do a number, and people don't really get it. So it's really just I shoot my shot. I'm a volume shooter like, like <laughs> Bryant, like Kobe Bryant. 
Even though I'm a LeBron guy, I like the volume shoot on Twitter. And, you know, some of it is, some of it don't. It's funny you say that, though, because I saw a video the other day, and I think it was after the Rams win. And I was looking back on the videos that you have posted. And last night I saw that that video that you posted after the Rams win got 12 million views. What video was that? The dude was crib walking into the salon, or I don't know where he was, into the drugstore. He had like a 40 or or a 50 Hennessy something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of my favorite memes on the internet. My thing, like a lot of social media uh, mavens out there, is I love when I see some funny content or a funny meme or a funny video or funny stuff. I try and just find a way to utilize it and incorporate it and put it into, uh, you know, whatever's going on in the world. So that's one of my favorite ones right there. Uh, you know, Silky Johnson really out here getting his pimp walked off. <laughs> okay, so I didn't realize that that's what it was, but I'm going to play three videos so our listeners okay. can hear just how hilarious you are. Now, the first one is when DeMarcus Cousins made his Warriors debut and you did a mic'd up segment with Boogie talking to KD and then Steve Kerr walked by at the end. Now, this got nearly 500,000 views, so hold up real quick. Okay, I'm gonna have the. Hopefully, this is loud enough. Hey, if I keep playing like this, we could just trade Draymond. That's what I'm saying. What y'all talking about? Nothing. Hey, if I keep playing like this, we could just trade Draymond. That's what I'm saying. What y'all talking about? Nothing. Okay. So, anyways, I'm just playing that for for our listeners. That was freaking hilarious. I I literally died laughing. I reposted that. Obviously, five hundred thousand other people reposted that. So, when exactly did you see the moment or the opportunity to make a post? Was it was it right away? I mean, that's the funny thing. When I when I go into this stuff, I'm always just like top of the dome. I never really have anything planned or mapped out. Like I knew Boogie was coming back, so it was gonna be you know right for a bunch of fire memes and content. And obviously, you know, Warriors are, are killing right now. Mm-hmm. So that actually happened in the moment. I, I saw it happen. I'm like, yo, this be funny. If I had Boogie and Katie having a conversation about trading Draymond, and then as I kept, I, I, I do like a 15 second rewind on the TV, so I rewound it a couple of times just to get the pacing and the flow right. And then I saw Steve Kerr walk in. I was like, oh yeah, it'd be funny if, if Kerr kind of interrupted them in the middle of their conversation. So a lot of this stuff is like it's not mapped out or planned out. It's kind of on the top of the dome. It's kind of like it's like you know just keeping my mind fresh and just trying to stay in touch with what's going on in the world. And, you know, it's just like it's a, it's a whole lot of Twitter. A lot of people post news. A lot of people post the moment and what's going on. But now, even if you've seen the moment a hundred times, you're going to watch my video because, you know, I'm going to add a funny layer and a funny element to it that's going to take it beyond just what the actual video was. So I'm assuming, though, you are watching the game, kind of looking for certain shots, and then you come up with the material afterwards, right? Yeah, most I mean, look, literally, happens in the moment. Like last night, Steph, Steph played the Lakers, and uh, he slipped and fell going up for the dunk. And those things, those things, like for somebody like me, I know a lot of other content creators out there that, that like to do this type of stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, you might be sitting on your couch just watching the game, and then you just, it's like you're just the light turns on, like you got to go. Because I know there's a hundred other people out there that just saw the same thing. They're going to try and clip the video up, put it up as quick as possible. And then at that point, it just becomes a race of who can get it out first. So I like to try and get it out first, and then also add a whole other layer and element to it. So when people are watching, I know a lot of people, you know, they want to be entertained. Yeah, obviously, you know, the way the country's going right now, people need some entertainment. Yeah. And I just try to help them, you know, make their days a little better, a little brighter. And it's really, I just do it for my own entertainment. So it's stuff that makes me laugh. So at the end of the day, I don't care if anybody laughs at it. You know, if I laugh at it, I feel like it's a good video, I'll, I'll drop it. But you also choose content that is relevant like this is a good one this was a good one especially you know with the big question marks regarding Draymond and Katie at the end of the season in my opinion I don't think Katie will be a warrior next year especially if they they win another title he'll be like okay I got my three rings thanks I'm out yeah exactly so like you kind of pick like great relevant content is that your approach yeah my approach is honestly just whatever's trending whatever topical like, you know, like, before I keep going back to the Steph thing, but you knew right when Steph fell that the whole internet was going to go crazy. Yeah. And I think I remember, like, Jay and Donnay posted a tweet, like, you know, somebody posted all, all the Clay Thompson three-pointers he made, and that thing had, like, 4,000 views. Somebody posted the Steph's tripping and following, and they had, like, 300,000. So, obviously, the internet, the internet and Twitter, they definitely crave in-the-moment, real-time stuff. So it's really just, you know, like Sugar Freestyle, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, this next one is one of my favorites. It's also a mic'd up video. Uh, this was during the divisional round playoffs when the Cowboys lost to the Rams, and the video is of Cowboys coach Chris Richard yelling at the linebackers on the sideline, which was kind of weird because he's a DB coach, hey. but that's all right. Anyway, so uh, folks out there, take a listen. 
what y'all doing, bro? Y'all messing up my head coaching opportunities. I don't know Sean McVay, and I ain't white. So that means y'all got to play good if I'm going to get a job. Okay, I love that one. Now, this is why I love that, because you took two subjects and provided comic relief, right? So the notion that everybody who knows Sean McVay or even had a freaking cup of coffee with Sean McVay gets head coaching opportunities, right? Exactly. The other subject matter is the lack of diversity in the NFL among coaching candidates and head coaches in general. Most definitely. I think the thing, especially like with with, uh, my show Legend of Chamberlain Heights on Comedy Central, we always took a satirical approach to all the issues going on in the world yeah. and basically used com- comedy as a vehicle to raise awareness about those issues. So if you watch the show, there's a lot of stuff on that show that you shouldn't be laughing at, yeah. but it's also, you know, it's, it's making light of situations that are going on in the world, but also raising attention. So when I made that video, honestly, when I recorded that video, I didn't think it was going to get the response that it got. I just knew that I, there was an issue, obviously, on my show, mostly football, that we've been talking about a lot, just the the lack of, uh, you know, minority coaches and head coaches in the NFL and across sports, really. And I just thought, yeah, this would be a great opportunity. You know, what, what would this guy really be saying? Obviously, Chris Richard has been mentioned for, for jobs, so I'm sure he's hated at these guys for blowing his opportunities and, not, you know, not bringing it. And it was, it was two white dudes. It was Sean Lee and I want to say Vander, whatever, Vander Esch. Vander Esch, yeah. Lane Vander Esch, yeah. Yeah, so, so it, was two, it was two white dudes. So I just thought it'd be funny. Hey, we got, I got a black dude yelling at these two white dudes for messing up his coaching chances. And that one, honestly, it went, it went, it went super viral. I was like, wow, man, that's, that's crazy. Because that's one of those ones I didn't think it was necessarily funny. I didn't know if people were going to actually get, get the real meaning behind it. But a lot of people kind of gravitated towards it and got what I was trying to say with it. Oh, I loved it. I retweeted it. I put it on my Instagram stories. I told people that they need to follow you because, like, that's just a perfect example of, like, what you do. And, you know, the comic relief that you provide for also serious subject matters, which we will get to later because I want to talk about Legends of Chamberlain Heights a little bit later. Okay. But I have another video. To show, so th- okay. this one was one of my faves. I have a lot of faves from you, but this one is one of my faves. This is when the Mega Millions was um, up to <laughs> to a record high, one and a half billion dollars. So it's you looking at some quick picks and thinking what you would buy if you won. So take a listen to this. Got my six dollars worth of Mega Millions quick picks. I already know I'm finna win this billion dollars. I can't wait to quit my job and tell all my haters to eat a dick with your broke asses. <laughs> but what am I going to do once I get all this money? I could finally get my own Netflix subscription and stop using my cousin's login. Nah, I'm going to just keep using his login. I could buy LeBron a new hairline and fix the back of KD head and still have like 40 bucks left over. I could buy the Clippers and make them change their name to the Crippers. I could buy Kawhi a new laugh. I could buy like 10 pairs of ZO2s and like six big baller brand shirts. I could get OJ to admit he did it. I could buy a million pairs of Gucci loafers. I could buy Kanye a clue. Nah, a billion still might not be enough for that. I'm sorry. That was like that was like one of my favorite videos. I couldn't listen to that like 20 times and still laugh every time like I'm doing right now. Oh, well, hey, I appreciate you keeping me in business. I, I appreciate <laughs> the it. Netflix one is the first thing you said. And oh my God, that is so funny because everybody could relate to it, including myself, because I'm still using my best friend's login. I mean, I have the money for it, but it's like, why buy it if you can get it for free? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Everybody, know, everybody knows the Netflix, uh, the Netflix jug. Like, hey, and everybody could probably say, like, what, $15 a month, whatever. I could say that 15 and get a haircut. But the funny thing is, okay, you made fun of LeBron's hairline, the back of Katie's head. Yeah. So those are all relevant topics. Yeah. Uh, what, what else was there? Oh, God, buying Kanye a clue. Yeah, you don't have enough money for that, clearly. Yeah. And this is right around the time Kanye was tripping on, he was going hard on all that MAGA stuff. So, yeah. like I said, I try to keep all these things topical, keep them funny. But it's funny, like, I'm trying to just make all my videos relatable. Like, that's what I, I've just kind of looked at a lot of other content creators that I respect out there mm-hmm. and the type of stuff they're doing. And, and like I said, this is more just like mental Olympics for me. Because I've obviously got a full-time gig that pays the bills, but it's like, yo, I like to entertain myself. And it helps me a lot with my comedy writing for uh, mostly football, just to stay fresh, mm-hmm. stay with current, stay with topical, and just try to make people laugh. Like, anybody can watch it and, and think, you know, I remember when I, I bought my ticket, like, I was at the, the liquor store, and I was like, just start, all the thoughts started going through my head. I was like, damn, look at her and just make a video about this. Yeah, that was smart. I loved it. Um, even, even though the OJ comment, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say it was inappropriate, but it's a, it's a touchy topic. It's a sensitive subject, you know, but come on. 
We know he did it. Let's be real. So, like. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is the thing about the black community. And I look back, in like, 96 or whenever, whenever that trial, 90, whenever that trial was going down, 94, whatever it was. Yeah, it was in 96. You know, we don't. We, we we weren't really rooting for OJ. We were rooting for Johnny Cochran, and we were rooting just for you know this unjust uh, you know criminal system that exactly. you know unjustly placed black men in prison. So to see us get one back, even though OJ kind of turned his, his back on the black community many moons ago, but just to see us get one back, I think that's what we're all more excited about. But as the time has gone on, and we've obviously kind of seen more evidence, seen everything unfold. It's like, yeah, come on, OJ. You know you did a Playboy. I mean, you saw Made in America, right? Is that what you're basing? Yeah. Because we were young. Yeah. I mean, we were young. I remember seeing the verdict on Oprah. We yeah. didn't get the verdict live. I think it was on delay. And it's not like I could have checked the internet because this is before the internet. Um, so everything that we, all the information that we got was kind of like secondhand information or whatever and delayed information. Yeah. And we were also young. So now that they did that Made in America series, I was like, dang, right? Like, dang. Yeah. OJ was on one. On one. I was actually, I, I was going to school at Crossroads, which is in Santa Monica, which is right near Brentwood. A couple of the lawyers, kids in the trial were actually going to school with me. So it was crazy. I remember it was a predominantly white school, but I was in eighth grade at that point. And uh, they, they gathered us all in science class to watch it on the big screen TV. And all the black kids were just going crazy. You know, we, we were going ham for OJ. We were just so happy. And everybody else was like crying in tears and shit. But it was just a, ooh, am I allowed to curse? I'm sorry. Woo-hoo. No, yeah, you can. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a podcast. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, they're crying in the tears and shit. And it was just like, you know, it was, it was like, hey, we finally got one back after all the BS and bullshit, you know, Rodney King and all that other stuff. So mm-hmm. like, we finally, but now as I've gotten older, it's like, yeah, we really didn't get one back. OJ's ass was guilty. Yeah, no doubt. But anyways, um, so Josiah, what video has had the most views? Uh, video for me, the most views, I think, uh, of the recent stuff I've done, like I did a video last year called Bronze Plan, which was a God's Plan parody. Oh, my God. I remember that. Yeah, just about LeBron, you know, LeBron uh, not meshing well with his squad. That one did really solid. I did a, over a million. I did a video recently with uh, Kodak Black went to a Ravens game with Lamar Jackson. So I, I did half of that voiceover and then that clip of Kodak from the Breakfast Club that was just going viral. As I watched the video, I was like, it would be, be funny as hell just to add this clip in. Oh, my God. And then, uh, you know, put that put together. So I dropped that, I want to say, week week 17 of the NFL season before the Ravens, Ravens' last game to try and make the playoffs. Yeah. That's when, when I see it, I just, like, I just started laughing and lose my shit. And I was like, yo, this thing is going to really hit. And it ended up doing it, but everybody really gravitated towards it. But honestly, like I don't even I don't even worry about view counts or all that type of stuff. I just worry about keeping the same process. But like I said, there's a lot of videos that I put up that I think are going to go viral that don't necessarily hit. And there's some ones like that Chris Richard video I did. Like yo, this, you know this thing went super viral. I was like yo, if this thing does ten thousand views, I'll be happy. And it did like five hundred. So it's just kind of keep you know doing doing the same process and just. Not worrying about the outcome. So you know, there's always going to be people that are going to have something to say. Always. Who are going to be salty uh, and don't understand your humor? So have people come at you sideways, like, bro, this is inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, people come at me all the time. The worst of me is like when somebody comes like hating. It's like, look, like you know, and I get it. Like from an artist perspective, like I'll never really hate on other artists. I may not like their stuff or whatever. I'll just keep that to myself. But the worst, like, when people come hating and then you do some research on them, it's like, bro, you got, like, you're either, like, a, a shitty SoundCloud rapper, like, a dude that's working at Subway, or whatever it may be. And it's like, I used to really try and eat to those dudes and, like, you know, I'm just, like, really trying to end their, end their lives. But now, as I've gotten older, it's 2019. I'm trying to stay positive on the right track. And it's funny because I got a, I, I tweeted some stuff out a couple weeks ago, like, look, I'm only going to worry about you know, the 99% of people that roll with it. Yeah. But it's tough. When you deal, when you deal with trolls online, they always kind of just, like, you want to just give them their hands. <laughs> but I've kind of realized, like, they don't they don't give a shit. They, they live for these moments. So no no internet argument was ever, like, oh, the other person was like, oh, okay, you know what, you're right, and I'm completely wrong. Like, that never happens. But when you, when, you, when you check somebody, and even if they know they're wrong, they'll just switch the subject and move on to something else. So they'll never, they'll never admit it. So it's not really worth my time. So I just kind of stay focused. But it's funny, I got a lot of fans when I do start engaging with these cats, they'll just be like, yo, remember what you said? Like, you know, you said you were going to focus on the positive. So I'm trying to stay positive and stay right just to put out a, you know, do the, do the right thing, put out the right message. See, now being a sports anchor, reporter, broadcaster, like I am and in the public eye, I get the same stuff. Yeah. But what I do is I just retweet them and have my followers go after them so I don't have to do it. Yeah. They handle my lightweight. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. <laughs> I mean, there's an occasional point 
because everybody's like, there's a lot of people who come up like, who told you to make this or who thought this was funny? And it's like, well, my, my checks did. Like when I'm at the bank and I go cash my checks for all the comedy I'm doing, like they're telling me it's funny. Yeah. So literally somebody on the internet telling me it's not funny. Like you're not paying my light bill. You're not paying my card note. So really your opinion doesn't mean shit to me. Yeah. Like the only opinions that matter are the people that cut the check. So as long as those checks are still coming in. Yeah. And I guess with, you know, comedians, this comes with the territory anyway. So you, you know what you got yourself into because yeah. obviously not everybody's going to like your material. Yeah. The worst is though, when you, when you put up some shit that's obviously funny and there's somebody, somebody wants to go against the grain or try and be the cool guy and be like, Oh, this was the funniest. Like motherfucker, you're an idiot. If you didn't think that was funny. <laughs> exactly. Like, that, shit was, that shit was hilarious. Like, <laughs> and I think everybody thinks it's funny. There's a lot of, there's a few other dudes in the space and like that do this, like DJ Michi Michu, who's a, we follow each other on IG and I'm a big fan of, and it's like, I'm not competing with these dudes. I don't really care about all that. We all just want to put out funny shit. Yeah. Like, you can put out 10 of the same videos with voiceovers. I'll watch all 10 of them because all the, everybody has a different, unique approach to it, and it all makes me laugh. So my whole thing is I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm not trying to sell anybody shine. I'm just trying to put out funny stuff to keep myself entertained, keep my mind fresh. So when I go into work and I got to write, you know, funny comedy sketches or whatever it may be, my mind stays sharp, and I always kind of bring that heat. Well, living in such a politically correct world right now, I feel like it's a little harder, though, for comedians to be as as raunchy and inappropriate as maybe they want to be. Like, for example, Dave Chappelle, right? If Dave Chappelle did the R. Kelly, I want to piss on you skit today after the docuseries Surviving R. Kelly just came out, people would have his head. Yeah. Now... Have you found that that to be a challenge, you know, toeing the line of appropriate and inappropriate, but not crossing the line too much? I definitely know how to really, really toe that line. Obviously, I've had a lot of experience, even with, with Legend of Chamberlain Heights and other stuff that I've done. Even like our first four Rangers, we did a Kobe and LeBron uh, puppet parody back in 2009. That was definitely super risque. But the whole thing is that that's what comedy is. You got to really test the limits. You got to really toe the line and push the envelope. And just, you know, make people laugh. So I'll never do anything that's just blatantly offensive. I have respect for all people. Yeah. But, like, I'm a, I'm a LeBron fan. I'll clown LeBron's hairline every once in a while. When LeBron was losing to the Warriors in the finals, he gets clowned. I'm just a big, I'm a big advocate of whoever loses gets clowned. So even if that's my favorite player, that's my favorite player. He's still getting clowned. I literally just dropped a Warriors LeBron diss track, you know, the other day for Martin Luther King Day. Uh, like a sicko mode remix, and it, it popped in my head. And it's like, look, the Warriors won. If LeBron would have won, I would have dropped the song "Clown on the Warriors." That's just, yeah. Like to me, to me, there there are no, you know, everybody whoever loses is a win for me because I'm a clown. Them, that's just life. It's nothing personal. People clown me all the time. Everybody just got to learn how to take a joke and relax. What does your fiance think about all this? Uh, she honestly gives me a ton of uh, of my content. I'll run a lot of stuff by her. And if she laughs, I'm like, all right, I know that's hot. I'm going to put it up. But she'll come with me sometimes and just say, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? And it's become a thing now where, like, you know, she's literally, like, we're in a writer's room together, and I'm just pitching her stuff that I want to do. And if she laughs, I'll put it up. And she's like, yeah, I'm not really feeling that. Then I generally won't do it. I love it. Okay, well, you've had a larger-than-life personality ever since I've known you, since college. Where did that come from, Josiah? I think just my whole family. My dad was uh went to UCLA and he was a theater arts major and an actor and he's always just kind of been been a super funny dude my older brother Chris same way just just a hilarious dude and when you play a sport like basketball like the locker room like you got to be funny like no matter no matter what level you're playing at you got 15 16 dudes in a locker room all clowning each other like you got to just be on your toes you got to be quick-witted you got to know everything that's going on in the world so I just really thank all, all my years of playing basketball, and especially with the guys at UCLA. We had a lot of funny dudes on that squad. Mm-hmm. So if you came in and you didn't bring it, you are going to get clowned, and that's just what it was. So I always just like to stay on my toes. I never really like to like go at people yeah. in terms of like stuff that's just offensive or insulting or really trying to just you know, ruin someone's life. But just having a good time, cracking jokes, trying to make people laugh. And get through their day. Well, you are, like you just mentioned, a legacy kid. Your dad. Is it Marquise Johnson? Marcus. Oh, Marcus. Really? He spelled it with the Q and it was Marcus? Dang. We out here. We're unique. Okay. We do some My uniqueness. bad. My bad. But, um, okay, I wasn't around, okay, during these days, clearly, because your dad won a national title back in 1975 before you were even yep. born. Was that the last year John Wooden was head coach? Yeah, so he was on Coach Wooden's last team. And that, uh, you know, he always just talks about that moment when Coach came in after they, they, they won the final four game to go to the championship. 
basically told the team this is my last game. And then my dad and some of the other teammates were like, shit, we can't let Coach go out and lose it, so we got to really go ahead and get this. Oh, I love that. Well, your dad, he also was a five-time NBA All-Star. Yeah. So my question to you is, was it tough trying to follow in your dad's footsteps? Or were you okay with, you know, finding your own niche and creating your own legacy through a different avenue? Honestly, it, it was super tough. And there was there was a time where it was really frustrating, depressing to not be able to be on this level. And the same thing with my older brother who played at UCLA and won a national championship in 95. And I want to say it was like top 10 all-time, all, all top 15 all-time scores in UCLA history. So it was tough. It was tough following in both their footsteps. And, you know, for most of my life, I never got referred to by my name. It was always, oh, you're Marcus's son or you're Chris's brother. You know, nobody really knew my name was Josiah. So I think, I think as I kind of got older, I got at peace with it and realized, like, look, I may not be able to, to do what they did on the court, but I'm talented in other ways, and I'm, I'm going to really let those shine. And there's no, like, there's no jealousy or competition in, in amongst the family. Like, my dad has five sons. We've all, we all play college basketball. Mm-hmm. So I think at the end of the day, we all just root for each other. Like, you know, basketball is in our bloodline. It's in the family. So even though I didn't have necessarily the career that I wanted to have at the collegiate level, like, look, I was just happy to, to be able to get a degree from UCLA and go to school with such amazing people that are out here doing shit, people like yourself, mm-hmm. you know, people like, you know, Trevor Ariza and Matt Barnes and just Earl Watson, all these amazing dudes that I got to, to hang out with, Jason Capono, just to see go on and do stuff. And now we're all kind of, you know, we all did our thing in, in various fields. So I think it's pretty cool. Well, for the record, you're definitely a legend, at UCLA, okay? Uh, and I think it's pretty funny because you were not a star of the basketball team, as you mentioned, but you were still ridiculously popular because of your personality and, like, the social scene aspect of it. Like, everybody loved yeah. you and Quinn. Like, everybody loved Josiah Johnson and Quinn Hawking. Now, with that said, please tell me what the hell happened with the legends of Chamberlain Heights, man. Because I'm pissed that that show is no longer airing because it was the funniest thing since South Park. We got two seasons from Comedy Central, so we were just blessed and fortunate to get that, 20 episodes, which as, I, as I've kind of worked in TV and, and, and gone on and got older, like, I, you know, I was super bitter and super hurt when the show got canceled. But the thing is, it's tough nowadays. There's so much content out there. There's so much different stuff that I really feel like we didn't really, we didn't really gravitate towards the people that I wanted to actually watch the show that I thought would have, would have, would have been able to, to rally behind it. And we frankly just didn't do the, the number necessary to, to, for Comedy Central to keep investing in the show. But I got optimism that some, at some point it'll come back. Mm-hmm. I look at a lot of this stuff now that I watch on TV. I don't really find particularly funny. And I feel like a lot of people, it's funny that even now, a year or two after the show's been canceled, are just finding out about it and are just kind of watching it. And it's like, damn, you know, how come I didn't know about this earlier? Mm-hmm. And my thing is always like, shit, I, I wish you did because, you know, maybe we still have a show on there. Can't you make it a YouTube channel or something? I mean, I know that it probably will cost a crap ton of money and you have to do the animations and all that stuff and put in the time and the effort. But couldn't you just make it a like a online show? We need we need big bread. That show costs a lot of money to execute, and we had a lot of talented people on the staff. Yeah. So my dream is really just to go out here and get this bag and then, and then bring it back to life like Jesus Christ. So <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it's not dead. It's just hot grenade right now. But uh, obviously we had a super talented crew of people. And honestly, when I look back at my life, that was probably one of the greatest points of it just in terms of being able to work with people like Erica Badu, yeah. being able to work with people like Neil Brandon, who created a Chappelle show with Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and was uh, you know wrote a lot of those sketches with him. People like Carl Jones, who worked on Boondocks and, and does a show now with Tyler, the creator, called The Jelly. So it was just, you know, honestly, uh, Tiffany Haddish on the show. Like, we had... We had an amazingly stellar crew, and I learned a lot from them, and uh, now just kind of moving forward and on to the next, as they say. I'm so mad because I actually think your show was way funnier than Boondocks. Like, I really did. Ooh, damn. That's... See, I, don't even, I can't even really say that. Like, see, bo- bo- when I go back and watch old Boondocks to me, and that's the thing, I think they got a great response, but the world probably wasn't really ready for how controversial they were going to be because their shit was on another level. Like, even, like, their R. Kelly stuff that's been recirculating now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They went hard. They went. They were, like, the, you know, the urban version of The Simpsons in terms of predicting, like, all, all the shit going on in the world. Uh, maybe I have a bias, but I seriously died. I, I thought your stuff was super inappropriate, but just the right of inappropriateness, you know? Yeah. When you guys balance also social issues and comedy and just, like, the funniest. Oh, my God. Like, Milk, when he was pranking his, um, what's that dude that he was pranking? His little stepdad? Uh, Uncle Joey. Oh my God, I died. Like that episode was one of my favorite freaking episodes ever in life, but it was so inappropriate. Like when his hair dryer, he thought he blew uh, what's it called? Baby powder, but it was really Coke. <laughs> yeah. Hey. 
We go hard, okay? So, we go hard in the paint. I died so much. Or the shackles, the sneakers, the shackles. Honestly, for two years, for two years, I got paid money to go into a room with a bunch of talented individuals and just say the most crazy, outlandish, absurd shit. You know, honestly, like, if you came into our writer's room, like, you were going to laugh all day, every day. Like, we were going to go hard as shit. And, you know, there's a lot of even stuff that we, we had to pull back because of the network. Yeah. But, you know, we, we really try to just go out there and make a splash. Like, I'm a big believer, like, if you're not offending people, if you're not offending people, then you're not doing comedy the right way. Oh, I completely agree. So I know you start work at 930. Um, do you have like five more minutes? Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. So I'm going to play something. And I only am playing this episode not because I think it's like, I think it's hilarious. It's not like the most hilarious as some of your other stuff, but it's, uh, let's just say appropriate for this podcast, okay? Okay. Because some of the other stuff was not that appropriate for this podcast. So hold on. Y'all trying to watch some of them summer games tonight? Hell yeah, the dream team playing. How we gonna be a dream team without LeBron? More like a lean team. Ain't no way they winning the gold without the king. I heard Bron Bron didn't want to go to Rio de Janeiro because of Zika. Zika? You mean that big booty mommy who be popping it on her snaps? No, it's like the Brazilian Ebola. It's supposed to make your head shrink. Man, Zika ain't real. Brazil made that shit up so they can win some medals. Ain't nobody trying to watch basketball anyway. I stay on that gymnastics. Yeah, those dudes is super huff, but I ain't trying to see all them mammal toes. I'm talking about women's gymnastics. Them leotards they wear be showcasing them bush knuckles. <laughs> yeah, but Jim's body's too compact. Only Brazilian volleyball booty can handle this nine. <laughs> <laughs> what about ice skating, though? That's the winter games, dumbass. Damn, why they gotta segregate? I'ma segregate y'all asses to the parking lot if y'all don't get y'all motherfucking heads in the game. Can't you see we conversating? Damn. Have some manners. Bunch of ungrateful ass motherfuckers. Mark. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, anything I found like the other day that I was going through stuff, I was dying. But that was at least the most appropriate that we could show. And also, when uh, you hear it, you understand what's what's going on. Because I was going to do the riot, but then you couldn't. You had to see the riot to understand what was actually going on. You know what I'm talking about when the police ac- accidentally killed that black dude? Remember that? Yeah, the, the, armless, the armless black man <laughs> yeah. for not ready for the Oh, my God. So, anyways, I, I love that show. But how were you guys able to find a way to, I mean, obviously, this wasn't an example of discussing social issues, but you guys did a lot uh, with police brutality in particular. So, how were you able to find a, a way to discuss social issues, but also also provide comic relief at the same time without being super offensive. I mean, I think that, that with the show, we tried to offend a lot. We basically tried to be like, you know, South Park definitely tackles a lot of issues going on kind of in the larger community. We wanted to focus on stuff that was going on that was impacting minority communities, black, mm-hmm. Hispanic people, you know, just, just stuff that, that, that we all deal with on a daily basis. And that's why it was so relatable. And I think the thing about our show is it's just really authentic. You look at a lot of writers rooms for shows, they're talking about subject matter, and they literally, honestly, don't have the people that uh, understand that. So they have, they have, you know, a lot of, a lot of non-minority people talking about minority issues. Yeah, and you can always see that. You know, you always can just tell, like, yo, this is not real, not authentic. Like our writers room, we have one of the most diverse writers rooms. I would argue to say probably in the history of television. Like we had, it was, I mean, there were so many black people, and they were just like, yo, what the fuck is going on? Like it was just, it was just an incredible experience in terms of you know, making the show more representative in, in the writer's room of what it looks like on the screen. So we had a lot of super talented people that were involved. And we always just figured out ways, like, hey, we knew, we knew we had an issue we wanted to tackle, and we would do it in a way where, you know, there was humor attached to it and satire, but it was also like it would make you think, like, we went at Bill Cosby, we went at OJ, we went at Trump, we went at the police, we went at so much different stuff, gentrification. Uh, cultural appropriation, like so much different stuff that, that was impacting our community, but we had the crew in place that could really do it authentic and really convey the message the way that we wanted to convey it. Yeah, I loved it. I think you guys did an amazing job. I, I am praying that the show comes back somehow. Uh, now, the concept of the show was created by you and Quinn, as you mentioned earlier. Um, he's also, uh, if you guys were listening earlier, a former UCLA basketball player who wrote
hold the bench with you, Josiah. Yes. Uh, you guys don't take offense to that because you created the show based on your real life as a bench warmer, I guess you would say. Yet you still called yourselves legends. You guys yeah. were self-proclaimed legends. Please give me the backstory on that. So as you know, at UCLA in those times, we, we, we used to throw that word legend around to everybody. Like We had a, obviously a, a, a tight-knit circle crew that... We all rolled hard together. It didn't matter if it was at El Dorado on Tuesday nights or, you know, house parties or whatever. So I think we just kind of looked at it like one of the things I always kind of just stand by is you don't have to be a star to shine. And that's kind of one of the things I really believe in life. Mm-hmm. So even though we were on the bench, we, we made the best of an unfortunate situation. And it's like people still trying to clown me now, like posting my averages and shit. And it's like, yeah, well, well sitting on the bench got me a TV show. Like, what did your mediocre life get you? You know what I mean? It's kind of always my retort. Mm-hmm. So it was just... It was just—it was a great time, and for us to be able to now take that show, which was based on us and our experiences at UCLA, the characters looked just like a—it was weird seeing like a, a high school version of me and Quinn, uh, you know, on Legends. Like looking at it, kind of like it kind of like freaked me out sometimes. But <laughs> just to see a show that was based on our lives and based on our experiences, and actually have a show that was on Comedy Central that aired after South Park, it's like shit. Like you know, that, that's a dream come true. So. It was a tremendous experience. I think we were both super appreciative of the opportunity and obviously now just kind of moving forward to the next thing. Well, I was, uh, I remember reading an article in Sports Illustrated a while back when Legends was still on and it was about how you and Quinn, you know, went to UCLA or bench warmers to Comedy Central. And in that article, it talked about you and Quinn subbing in when you guys were playing Arizona, and I think it was back in 2003 when Andre Iguodala was on the team. Yeah. And there were some very funny quotes in that article, but what do you remember about that game playing Andre? I, I don't remember what game it was. I think it was that game, but I remember uh, Iggy almost like dunked on me and ended my life. <laughs> and as he was in the air about to dunk on me, I was just like, damn, it's just going to be on Sports Center. Like, all these thoughts went through my head. But he ended up missing the dunk. And literally, I just remember after you missed it, I just told him, yo, thank you, bro. Like, you saved my life. Like, you know, like, just joking around. But I just remember we used to have, honestly, we, we, we had a, a lot of good times and being able to just play with that crew. There's so many legends. I remember Mercedes Lewis came through and played with us one season. Yeah. He was probably one of the most the funniest dudes of all time. And obviously, he's gone on to have an amazingly successful NFL career. But we just had so many funny, funny-ass dudes that, that kind of rolled through when I was there from – from the Jason Caponos and Matt Barnes, Dan Gadzereach of the world, even to the younger dudes like Jordan Farmer, Aaron Aflalo, Josh Shipp, kind of towards the tail end of my career. We just had such a unique and diverse crew of people that it was just always, it was always a good time. What is it like seeing all the players that you have played with and some of the players that you played against have successful careers, you know, in the NBA and some of them are still in the NBA right now? Honestly, it's awesome. I always... I always make sure to, to you know to, to to watch all the guys' games. Like, I love watching Ariza with the Wizards. I wish he was on the Lakers. That made me really happy. Yes. But just following all these guys, Westbrook, of course, just seeing what, what he's done. Kevin Love, just just guys that you know, kind of you know, on a, on a personal level, just from the summer pickup games and being around and you know, at parties and having a good time to see them, you know, dominating the NBA now is just it's super refreshing. And obviously we know the West Coast is the best coast yep. for everything, including basketball. But hey. to, see the, to see guys that, that I know, even guys like Michael Fay, who's balling overseas, winning championships, you know, in Brunei and other places, and is still living his dream. I didn't know Michael Fay was still playing. Yeah, he's still, like, me and Fay, Fay's hilarious. Like, he'll hit me all the time. Like, he'll send me, he'll hit me on Snapchat and just send me videos of him, him turning up or him, you know, in these, these lovely island cities, but we just kind of all stay in touch with each That's other awesome. and keep up. But even guys like Matt McKinney, who's now going on to start, you know, a wine company, McKinney Family Vineyards, just seeing guys that, you know, used to party and hang out with and now going on to become businessmen and being successful in their adult life and having kids and kind of this next generation of kids all coming together. Like now, now all of our sons are going to get together and play on the AAU squad together. It's going to be super exciting. Okay, hold on. I did not know Matt had a vineyard. And is yeah. the vineyard in Southern California? It's in uh, Santa Inez, I believe, in his hometown, like right outside of Santa Barbara. Oh, I need to hit him up. I need to get some wine. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> He's got that good heat. That's nice. Okay, so I know you only have a few more minutes. So um, you're the supervising producer for the Mostly Football Show yeah. for Yahoo Sports. What exactly does that entail? Uh, because I see you doing skits for them as well. You're not just behind the scenes. Yeah. So basically, working on mostly football with uh, Martellus Bennett has been a, a, like an incredible opportunity. 
Marty's one of the smartest human beings I've ever seen. He's a guy that never let football define him. And he also is not afraid to say whatever he wants or whatever's on his mind or call people out. So literally, like, our show, when I tell people, it's basically like a mix of, like, if Center met Saturday Night Live, like. Yeah. So we do, a lot of, we do a lot of the chats and topics and stuff, and then we do also do a lot of comedy sketches and topical content, which is where I come in. I kind of oversee a lot of that stuff. And, you know, being the talented human being that I am and, and the humble human being that I am, <laughs> I, you know, we do a lot of acting as well. Like, we've got a – it's funny, like, when I, when, I, when I do content, especially stuff for, for digital – you know, a lot of people want to put, like, famous people or whatever in it, but I find that when you just have a, a good crew of strong people, like, a lot of the people that we populate those skits with are, are producers on the show, that they're not really quote-unquote actors, but they really have embraced the role and stepped up to the challenge. And we're literally churning out five to six sketches every week based on funny, topical stuff that I'm getting to write, produce, direct, along with, along with our other crew of writers. So it's just for me, like, when I took the job, I knew that my sketch game needed a lot of improvement. And I figured, hey, you know, the best way to do it was just to, to, to go to go head first into it. Yep. So now I'm writing, you know, three to four sketches a week that I've been doing for the last, what, 20 weeks straight. But we put out some great stuff. And it's always great to me, like, when I have a concept or an idea that I end up writing the script and then end up shooting the script and we put it together in the edit and then we drop it and it performs the way you hope it wants, you, you want it to perform. It's always refreshing just to see, like, okay, this idea in my mind People actually thought it was funny too. So yeah, I think mean, we have a we have a great time on this show, especially with the, with the host as dynamic as Martellus Bennett, who's willing to fucking you know say whatever. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Obviously now that he's retired, he's not worried about any fines or any any you know any backlash <laughs> from the NFL. Like yeah. I'm literally talking about a guy who does not give a fuck. He just likes to create. He's a super talented artist, writer. Like you know, it just for me, like seeing somebody that young that has his head so strong on his shoulders that knows exactly what he wants to do is really amazing for me and inspiring. Your Dr. Trill character is hilarious. You Thank sound you. exactly like a hood Dr. Phil. Whose idea was that? I'm assuming it was yours. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I was, I don't know how I, I came up with it, but I was watching, I think we were, we were going to do a sketch and we had, uh, you know, two people who didn't like each other. I think the first one was Baker Mayfield and Hugh Jackson, I believe. Yeah. 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 And I was just thinking like, like what would be the best way for them to come at each other? And I was like, Oh damn, what if we do a, and I always joke that Baker's life ended. So I was like, what if we do a sketch with a, you know, a hood doctor called Dr. Trill? And it's funny, I'll, I'll walk around the office and I'll start doing the voice and I'll just start talking like Dr. Phil to everybody in the office. And I'll just start asking them questions and saying, hey, okay, uh, should we do this sketch, everybody? Is everybody going to be okay with that? And, uh, you know, so and literally just started doing the voice and people started cracking up. So I'm like, yo, let's, yeah, let's, just, let's have fun with this. And then as I really started developing the character, I'd be like, it'd be funny to have him in a gold chain and a do-rag. And he always he has the teardrops on his eye, but there's always a different amount of teardrops. And he always has the black oh and miles in his ear position in different places. <laughs> so just every, every time you watch it, you'll notice some new quirk. And, and it's just like, for me, like I'm a big fan of old school hip hop. So I always throw in some old school references yep. based on whoever, whoever the feature people are. Like we did one last week with Marcus Peters and Sean Payton. And I made sure to get some Bay Area stuff in there and obviously some, some, some New Orleans stuff in there. I was dying. But, I was freaking yeah. dying. So I'm, I was going to say, just, you know, just a fun character and a lot of different stuff. Like, you know, basically when you get to come into work every day and work with incredibly talented people. That like you know again another place where we just try to make each other laugh but we also talk about serious issues and topics and try to have a good mix and really put out a show that we feel like people will be uh, happy to watch. Okay, so who's your favorite NFL team? I'm a Raiders fan. Yes! Fortunately and unfortunately. Yes, you are my new favorite. Why did I never know this? Because you grew up probably an LA Raiders fan, right? Yeah, I mean honestly, it's hard for Raiders fans now to really be vocal about our. <laughs> our, our fandom. Nah, man, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Raider Nation, it doesn't matter if we're 0 and 10, 0 and 16, or 12 and 4. You're always gonna rep the silver and black. Come on, now. yeah, not always. I remember when I was little, one of the only football games I've been to where I wasn't working was uh, my dad took me to see Bo Jackson. I want to say after the Coliseum, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, just watching Bo in action, and then I was like, Yo, I'm, I'm gonna be a Raiders fan for life. I used to play with him on Tecmo Bowl, so it was just it was just meant to be. That's awesome. So who do you got, though, in the Super Bowl? Because clearly the Raiders didn't make the playoffs. Um, so Rams or Patriots? Who you got? Look, as a, as a Los Angelino, I got to roll with the Rams. And it's funny because even though, like, the Raiders, the Rams used to be in Orange County or whatever, and the Raiders were in L.A., it was never like they were ever rivals. 
But uh, I love this Ram squad. I love Sean McVay. I love how hard. I love Akeem Tlaib, obviously, and Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters is probably my favorite human being in the NFL besides Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> yes. Which is and convenient because they're cousins. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like when I look at a dude who's just a, a real a real N-word, like Marcus Peters personifies that, just like a, a down-to-earth, funny-ass dude. But you know it would be fun as fuck to hang out with yeah. off the field. But I just look at that squad and how hard they go. C.J. Anderson, another Bay Area legend. Like, they just have a, you know, a, a sick squad, and I'm, I'm excited for them. Have you ever got uh, any feedback from your videos that you do, especially, like, for example, the Marcus Peters one that you just did, him versus Sean Payton? Do you think Marcus has seen it? No, I don't, I don't know if he's seen it. I'm sure, like, the way the internet works, I'm sure he's, he's peeped it. I haven't heard from him directly. I was doing some Jalen Ramsey videos. who's another one of my favorite players in the NFL, like, I think the dude is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And just, you know, one of the, one of the best shit talkers in the league. So I was doing some Jalen videos that got a bunch of traction. He ended up blocking me, so my feelings are really hurt. <gasps> he blocked you? He blo- I mean, I think I think he thought I was trying to clown, but really, you know, I was having fun, like, he, you know, with his voice or whatever, but it was really, like, he's one of my favorite dudes in the league, and it was just refreshing to me to see a dude who just didn't give a fuck, who went at Steve Smith, who's another one of the dudes I love, who went at all these dudes, this young dude who just doesn't give a shit, but I think he took it the wrong way. He thought I was trying to clown him. Really, I was I was joking with him. But, you know, Jalen, if you listen to this show, unblock me, homie. You ain't got to follow me. Just unblock me. I'll, I'll let him know. I'm going to let him know. So, uh, with that said, Josiah, I don't want the Patriots to win at all because you already know being a Raiders fan, we cannot get over the tuck rule game. Okay, so F that. We're the ones that jump-started Tom Brady's illustrious career, his decorative career five-time Super Bowl champion we jump-started that um but anyways I don't want to talk about that you can follow though Josiah on Twitter at King Josiah 54 and on Instagram his name is also King Josiah 54 and this is free publicity right now so anything else you want to promo Josiah um I would just like to say everybody out there stop hating start creating you know you see somebody trying to do it keep keep getting it i don't really want to promote you I just want to let everybody out there who who, who sees stuff that i do wants to like hey i want to have a tv show all that type of shit you got to go do it you're gonna get a lot of no's just keep grinding don't let nobody bring you down and ultimately if you just approach everything like fuck everyone i'm gonna get it no matter what you're gonna get some you might not get everything you want but you're gonna get some of what you want so keep following the twitter keep following the instagram i'm gonna still do the content just keep putting shit out and thank you for having me on the show i really appreciate you oh no it was my pleasure you were awesome thank you so much for coming on again you can follow josiah on twitter at king josiah 54 you can also follow him on instagram king josiah 54 we out here ucla go bruins go bruins we out here Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Keeping It 300. Don't forget to rate us and write a review. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Art19. Again, this was Keeping It 300 for Josiah Johnson and James Jones, who is not here this week. I'm Fallon Smith. We out.